hear the word of the Lord in Colossians chapter, nine, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. battery power by turning off the microphone between services and it doesn't work real well when uh, you come up here and it's not turned on. So thanks, Brittany. And we don't need that part on the video. Thanks. Uh, good morning. I am Pastor Jeff, uh, one of the lead pastors here along with Joey, and we're glad to have you here in worship with us at Faith Church. It's a big weekend today, a lot going on. It's race weekend, I understand. Some people are driving cars really fast, officially, like legally. Uh, and, of course, it's Memorial Day weekend where we remember those who have given their lives in service and defense of our country. And that got me to thinking about significant weekends. It, it wasn't in May, but I remember uh, a pretty significant weekend in my life about 28 years ago. I was sitting in a kitchen in Racine, Wisconsin, sweating bullets. Uh, I was super nervous, and I hope that everyone around me could not tell. I was trying to find time to be alone with Amelia's dad. Uh, I needed to have this serious conversation with him uh, because I'd known Amelia for about three years and uh, we dated most of that time, even uh, long distance, our senior year of college, and uh, I was ready to move uh, from a dating relationship to make a lifelong commitment with her. Uh, but I wanted to, I felt like for me to do it right, I wanted to talk to Amelia's dad first. I mean, he's the one that help bring her into this world. He's the one who's raised her. He's the one who's loved her. And it was important to me that even though Amelia and I had been talking about getting married, I, I wanted his blessing. I, I wanted to know that he thought this was a good idea. And, uh, you know, I, I can be impulsive at times, uh, but especially when it comes to really big things like getting married, which is pretty significant, uh, I tend not to be the kind of, you know, act first and think later kind of guy. Uh, in really big decisions like that, uh, I'm the kind of guy who would, uh, you know, just be inside my head about this for months at a time, thinking and planning and how's this going to work out and what am I going to say? And, uh, and then finally, you know, I, I have to come up with a plan to do something about it. So here I am in this moment. I'm going to start a conversation with potentially my future father-in-law that's going to change Everything. Everything. Now, uh, I had worked ahead of time in thinking up this plan. I talked to Amelia's mom and, and got her and Amelia's sister to sort of quietly leave the kitchen. Uh, and so Tom looks up, and it's just the two of us. He looks around like, where did the women go? And, uh, and I'm like, okay, this is it. I've, I've set the stage. I can't sort of chicken out now and just say, 
I just wanted to be alone to tell you how much we like you. Uh, this, is, this is it, right? He's going to know that I have something serious to talk with him about. And so I jump in and I'm thinking, you know, he might say yes. And that's going to change everything in my life. He might say, I'm not so sure that's a good idea. And that would definitely change everything. But I had a feeling he was going to say yes. And so the responsibility, the seriousness of it, the impact was real. Uh, you know how in movies where there's this key moment uh, in, in the development of the story where everything like goes in slow motion and, uh, and time just sort of stops and the camera zooms in on, on what's happening and because there's this intense moment. That actually happens in life. Uh, it happened for me. And, you know, if, you, if you're watching movies, if you're engaged in it, you may find yourself, you know, like holding your breath. And, and I was doing that too. Uh, and and finally, I got some words out where I was able to tell Tom how much I loved his daughter and how I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, how I wanted to carry, care for her and, and make her happy and, and ask if he would be okay with that, with me marrying this firstborn child of his. And there's this pause, and, and I realize I'm standing there asking a question that is going to change everything in my life from here on out. Sometimes questions like that or other ones can bring real change, can't they? For a lot of us, change is scary unless we know what the answer is going to be or what the outcome is going to be, which usually we don't have control over, right? So change can be terrifying, but it can also be exhilarating, can't it? And that's true in all of life, not just about big decisions, but when we think about our lives and the kind of people that we're becoming, spiritual change, personal change can be scary to ask for, but also kind of exhilarating to think that that could be a possibility. Now, I think we tend to approach change in different ways. For some of us, we can think, I don't need to change. I'm good the way I am. I'm fine. Another attitude could be, uh, you know, maybe I'd like to change, maybe I'd like to be different, but I really doubt that I could. I am who I am. This is it. What you see is what you get. I'm probably just going to always be this way. Another response might be, you know, yeah, sure, I recognize that I need to change, but I really want to do that at my pace. It's going to be when I want to change and how I want to change, and I get to determine who's going to tell me what I need to change. When we come to this question of life change, of transformation, moving from where we are and who we are to be someone or somewhere else, often those feelings of fear or doubt or complacency or Resistance or self-reliance come up, don't they? Now, it's clear in the Bible that God is a God who changes people. That that is his purpose, in fact. He transforms us. He wants to take people who are one way and make us different, make us better, make us look more like him. 
And that's very clear in this section of Colossians. If you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bible to Paul's letter to the Colossians in the New Testament. If you uh, want to pull out one of those black Bibles in the seat underneath in front of you, that's on page 1168, or turn there on your device, or whatever you use to read God's Word. In this section, Paul is praying for these Christians in this town of Colossae. And, And he not only wants them to know what he's praying for them, he's telling them intentionally, I think, because he wants them to be praying and seeking the same thing themselves. I think that's clearly why this is recorded for us here. Paul is saying, I'm I'm asking that God would change you in certain ways, and this is what you should want. This is what you should be praying for and and growing in as well. And, And maybe you're scared. Maybe you're doubtful. Maybe you're exhilarated. Maybe you're unsure. But what if this was our request? God, change me for your glory. God, change me for your glory. Because that's basically what Paul is getting at here. We're continuing in this series in Paul's letter to the Colossians where we are seeing the glory of God revealed ultimately in what he has done through his son Jesus Christ. How Jesus is supreme over all, how he is sufficient for everything, including the things that God wants to do in us. So today we're going to look at what it means that God has made us glorious new people. And we're going to see that in Paul's prayer for transformation, the result of that transformation, and the motivation or the power for that kind of transformation. Let's Look at this text together, starting in verse 9. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we haven't ceased to pray for you. That and so is like a therefore. He's he's pointing back up to what he's just mentioned, that Paul is saying, I've heard about your faith in Jesus Christ, that you have been brought into God's plans and purposes for you, and you're growing in your faith. And ever since I heard about that, I haven't stopped praying for you. Paul's advice, Paul's instruction, Paul's encouragement, Paul's direction often comes in the context of prayer. Prayer is, yes, about asking, but it's also about aligning. It's about aligning our lives, our wills, with God's wills and God's purposes. Notice the way that that Paul models that for these people that he cares about, that he's mentoring It's a good reminder for us as teachers, as leaders, as parents, even we could say as friends, that, yeah, as parents, for example, we we need to teach and correct and guide our, our children in certain ways. And we do that sometimes maybe more than we pray for them and thank God for them. Paul starts out by saying, I thank God for you as I pray for you all the time. What if that was true of us in our relationships? So Paul launches into prayer for these believers that they would be filled, you see, in verse 9, with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's praying that our minds, our knowledge, our thinking would be transformed. 
that, that we would be changed according to God's word, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, when we hear that, sometimes we think, well, God's will, that's about like, you know, should I buy or should I rent? Or which car should I purchase? Or what should I major in? Or what kind of job should I pursue? Or who should I marry? Or should I marry? Or how should I invest my money? And it's not that those things are unimportant, but that's not really what Paul is getting at here. Paul is talking about God's will, not as some sort of secret plan for our lives that we're supposed to figure out. It's not even just insight in how we are supposed to live. Paul is talking about God's eternal will and purposes that he has brought about in sending his son Jesus Christ into this world to live a sinless life, to die a substitutionary death, and to rise from death and to ascend to the Father's hand where he rules and reigns in glory and will return in majesty. That is God's will. That is what Paul wants us to understand more and more. That we would understand what God is about, what God loves, what he is doing, so that our thinking would be shaped by that and our lives would align with it. So we might pray along these lines, God, give me understanding of, of you, of your character, of what you desire, of, of your purposes in sending your son for me and into this world and how I might align my life with that. That's what it means to grow in knowledge of God's will. As Paul goes on to say, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Douglas Moo, the commentator, uh, writes, this combination of wisdom and understanding suggests an ability to discern the truth and make good decisions based on it. To discern the truth and make good decisions based on it. It's sort of like somebody said, uh, you know, intelligence is knowing that tomato is a fruit and wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Paul is not talking about some, again, some mysterious revelation of God. He's not asking that God is going to give them, you know, some special vision of heaven. He's saying the knowledge of God is in his word, in this Bible that he has given to us, and that that would increase in us, not just growing in knowledge, not just head knowledge, but towards a particular end, towards a goal, towards an outcome. You know, some of us love to study. We, we love Bible study, and, and the more in-depth and the more cross-references and the more books we read, the better. And, you know, we get deep into cross-referencing scriptures and reading theology and, and dead Christians that we can quote over and over, and, and the more, the better. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, is it leading you to greater wisdom in living out God's will for your life? Because that's the goal. That's the purpose of growing in knowledge. Now, some others of us may think, you know, I, I'm not about that at all. I've got all the knowledge of God that I need. My understanding of God is sufficient. And, and maybe you've stopped even desiring or asking that God would grow you in knowledge of him. You're not assuming that, you know, and approaching God from the perspective that I still need to know more of you, God, so that I would look more like you. Jerry Bridges says, don't believe everything you think because you cannot be trusted to tell yourself the truth. That's why we need to align our wills in greater understanding and wisdom. 
So we could pray this like Paul does. And if you think about it, that's kind of scary. Because the risk is if you pray like this, God will increase your knowledge of his will for you. And then you have to do something with it. You've been thinking that you've arrived and you're praying for God to show you more of his knowledge for you. And all of a sudden you see, well, I thought I'd arrived and I'm really kind of on a plateau. And there's still maybe a big hill that God wants me to climb in knowing him more and walking with Jesus. Pray that God would increase your knowledge of his will in your life that would result in you being actually transformed and bringing glory to God in how you live. Because it's not just head knowledge. It's not just reading more books or having better theology. Because Paul's prayer is that our knowledge of God would have an impact, would have an effect on our lives. That's the second thing that we see here, the result of transformation, the result of being new people in Christ. Paul says, here's what it looks like in verse 10, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you catch that? Paul says, I want you to grow in understanding and knowledge so that you would walk in a manner pleasing to God, bearing fruit, and increase in knowing him. There's almost like a a spiral that's happening here. In, In other words, increasing in knowledge of God results in knowing what God wants and then living that out, which increases our knowledge of God. N.T. Wright puts it this way, understanding fuels holiness, and holiness fuels understanding. The more I do something, the better I understand it, and the better I'm able to do it. That's true in every area of life, isn't it? Whether it's playing sports, or a musical instrument, or, or writing, or woodworking, or art, or car repair. And it's true for our life with God, too. The more I walk with Him, the better I understand Him, and the better I get at walking with him, and then the more I understand him. Because, Paul says, a true knowledge of God leads to a change in our lives. God's people increase in knowing him so that they bear fruit. And, and there's an echo here of what we saw last week, remember, where Paul talked about this gospel is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, and Paul is saying here, and it should be doing that in you, personally. So that God's people would bear fruit in every good work and grow. Now when we hear those words, when we look at this passage, if we're going to be honest, what area of your life is least like that? Maybe it's Making a priority of growing our relationship with God. Maybe it's sharing the good news of what Jesus has done with others. Maybe it's self-discipline. You know, for some people, doing small tasks over and over again and just sort of managing the details, it, it kind of comes easy. But for others, it's a challenge, right? And part of life is simply just doing the small things day after day that have to get done. Now, some people are wired to think, you know, more along the lines of, can I just do it once and and not have to think about it again? Uh, I I can relate to that, right? 
Tuesday is trash day at our house, and it comes around every week whether I want it to or not. And there are some days where I feel like, wait a minute, it's Thursday and the trash bins are full. Can't you just send a truck out and pick it up? Because I kind of forgot Monday night to, to do this stuff. And the trash company will say, uh, sorry, that's, that's not how it works. On-demand trash pickup would be an awesome business. Maybe, Nick, that could be your, like your next, your next startup, right? Maybe for some of us it's praying, Lord, make me more diligent and focused for your glory. Make me more intentional in managing the details so that I can love and care for others better. I mean, ultimately, it's about praying, God, help me know what godliness would look like in my life and and help me do it. Help me bear more fruit for your glory in these areas. But let me warn you, don't pray that prayer unless you mean it because God will answer that prayer. Uh, Amelia has jokingly said for years, I have stopped praying for patience years ago because I know as soon as I do, God will force me to develop patience. Right? Maybe, Maybe you're caring for kids. And there's a temptation there because there's just so many demands and so much to do, and and it can lead to, you know, sort of impatience in us and and maybe anger. And what if you prayed, Lord, increase my knowledge of your will as it relates to showing patience with these frustrating kids? And then when they color on the thing they weren't supposed to color on for the 37th time— and you're tempted to get angry, God will bring that prayer back to you and remind you of it. Be patient, like I've been patient with you. And then you say, I don't want to be patient. I want to be angry. Maybe anger will produce godliness. And God says, no, will you let me help you be patient? This is a scary prayer because it it attacks and undermines what we like to believe about ourselves, right? I'm patient enough. I'm diligent enough. I'm self-disciplined enough. I'm sufficiently generous. I'm probably about as loving as Jesus could want me to be. I'm kind enough. What if we prayed for God to increase our knowledge of his will for us in those areas and then help us obey? Because that's what Paul is talking about here. God, change me for your glory. And and we pray before we try to do it, because look at what Paul says next in verse 11. To be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, strengthened with power. That's what we need, isn't it? I mean, God is the Almighty He has no limits. He is the sovereign creator and ruler. And and the power of God has been unleashed through the gospel now to enable us to live in ways that please God and bear fruit to his glory that we could not do before and cannot do on our own. All power, according to his glorious might. Let me ask, do you ever run out of energy? (laughs) Millie and I worked in the yard yesterday. Uh, She worked more than I did. I was probably out for two or three hours, and she was out for four or five. And at the end of that, you're hot and tired, and you just want to plop down on the couch because we get worn out, right? That's not God. 
God never runs out of power. According to his glorious might. Do you ever run out of kindness? Ever run out of forgiveness? Ever run out of generosity? Ever hear yourself saying things like, you're about to get on my last nerve? Right? See, bosses want to help us become better workers, and friends want to help us become better people, and, and that's great, but they're only human, and they get distracted. They have other responsibilities. They run out of energy. They forget. God? No. See, never, never. God does not run on batteries. God does not need to recharge. He has all the power that he needs to give you what you need to live according to who he has made you in Jesus Christ. I can grow you in the knowledge of my will, God says. I will make you more godly when you ask. I'm here with all the strength and all the energy that you need, eager, ready, wanting to change you for my glory. And maybe if we prayed based on that, it would be something like this that... uh, I confess, I don't like. What if I prayed, Lord, make me more dependent on you? Who wants to be dependent? That's exactly what Paul is pointing us towards. Lord, make me dependent on you because all power is yours. You have all the strength that I need to help me become what you want me to be. And through this strength, we have endurance and patience with joy. I like this helpful saying that I uh, ran across that endurance is the ability to deal with difficult situations and patience is the ability to deal with difficult people. Now, I don't know if, you know, you could draw straight lines that way, but but it's helpful. Do you see how comprehensive the mercy and the goodness of God is? Because Paul doesn't say that that you would be strengthened with all power to share your faith or lead others or serve in ministry or do something else that seems difficult. It's all strength for endurance and patience in anything, in everything that you come across. This is a word that God has for those who are weary and discouraged. It's a word for people who have battled persistent character difficulties. And it seems like you just change, if at all, painfully, slowly. Or you're facing severe trials in your life. And God is saying, look, I have all the strength that I need to help you endure. To help you grow in patience. To do my work in you. I will help keep you going. See, maybe for some of you, all that you could see growth looking like right now is just putting one foot in front of the other. God has the strength to help you do that, to help you get up the next day believing that it's not the end of the world and that you can do it and that he will carry you through. Sometimes it on those difficult mornings where you're just struggling and it's hard and you're tired and you're discouraged and you just need to get up with a measure of hope 
that God could actually do something in that. You know, maybe you're saying godliness today looks like responding to my difficult coworker with patience. God has strength for that. Maybe you're saying godliness today looks like not accusing you, God, of being unjust and unkind because of the pain that I'm struggling with. God, I just need to get through this day without denying you. God has strength for that. Maybe godliness today is is loving my spouse or my relative or, or my friend with patience because they are on my last nerve. There's strength for that. And as you take the strength for today and the next day and the day after that, you know what happens? God will increase in you bearing fruit for his glory. And and maybe it's like a, a tree in your yard that you just look at day after day and it never looks any different. But then one day you walk past it and, and suddenly you notice something's different. It doesn't look the way that it used to. Now there's, there's fruit coming out. And, and I'm responding in ways that I didn't before. And maybe you have to look back and say, okay, I don't, I don't seem really different than I was yesterday, but, but I can see that, that I'm more patient than I was five years ago. That, that I'm more intentional, I'm more self-disciplined than I was a decade ago. I'm more sensitive to the Spirit's conviction because I just endured. God gave me the strength to keep on obeying. And now look at what God has done. God has actually given me the strength to, to do it. And, and now I've endured and now he's given me patience. And I can do that now even with joyful thanksgiving, Paul writes. God can place thankful joy in the hearts of his children. That's one of the ways he wants to change us. Would the people that know us best describe us as thankful people, joyful people? Maybe if you look back over the moments of this last week or this last month, Were you more often discouraged and complaining and unhappy and bitter? Or would you say you were more thankful and joyful and and glad? See, we we live in a world that's not just shaped by bitterness and cynicism, it actively encourages it. We live in a world where we're saturated with messages encouraging us to be resentful and suspicious and angry and outraged. God wants to help us see, to see more and more how he's been good to you and rejoice in what he's done so that we would have strength to glorify him by living with joyful gratitude. That's one of the ways that he wants to change us, to live for his glory. And And maybe if it's easy to see in your life all the reasons that there are to complain, everything that's wrong, and the latest thing to be angry about and to complain about, God could change that. What if we could become one of those people that that maybe you've met? They seem strange. They see good in every rain cloud. They see good in other people. They see good in you. And maybe you can't even understand it because you don't even see good in yourself. And and they talk about what a blessing you've been. And 
And you think, what is their secret? How do these people just have this persistent thankfulness and joy? It's a result of being transformed. Maybe because they've been praying, change me for your glory, Lord, that as I grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding of your will, that it would result in joyful, worshipful praise to you. See, Thanksgiving always has an object. I don't mean the holiday. I mean the act of giving thanks. We give thanks to someone. That's this third thing that Paul is pointing us towards, the foundation, the reason, the motivation for our transformation. Look in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Everything in the Bible, everything in the Christian life is connected to what God has done and is doing through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center of this message. He is the reason for it all. See, Paul can't talk very long about prayer or godliness or growth or knowledge or strength or thankfulness without tying it back to what God has done in Jesus Christ to redeem for himself a people who would be for his glory, who would be his very own. He can't talk about our responsibility, about what it means to live a Christian life. He can't talk about heaven or hell or eternity or judgment or the future or the past without connecting it to what God has done in Jesus Christ. Paul is gospel-centered because the Bible is gospel-centered. The Bible is about the message of what God has done in order to make right what we have made wrong, in order to redeem and rescue everyone and everything who will be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the good news about being delivered from the domain of darkness and given an inheritance among God's people in glorious light, transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And this ending section here, this reminder that Paul gives us, is the foundation to this prayer that he's offering earlier. Because since God has already has already changed us in the most profound way possible, can he not change us from where we are now? If God was able to take us from death and bring us to life, if God was able to take us out of a domain of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves, if he could do that, can he not give us the strength to live according to who we actually now are in Jesus. That's what Paul is getting at here. The more that we grow in godliness, the more that we grow in knowing him, we rejoice in his redemption. That's the goal of everything that God is doing. It's the motive. It's the foundation. And so we pray that we would grow in knowledge that leads to godliness. What is it that helps us do that? It's what Paul is getting at here, remembering, knowing, living out 
of what God has done for us, how he has redeemed us, to rejoice in it, to pray that we would be transformed according to how God has already rescued us. That we would rejoice that God is the one who has already qualified us, who has already made us fit to share in the inheritance of his saints, his beloved ones, the ones set apart from him. Rejoice, remember that you already belong to him. That becomes the foundation and the motivation to pray that God would help me live out of what I already have because I'm already qualified. Think about all the places that we cannot enter into on our own in this life. I cannot go to Washington and walk up to the White House and let myself in. There are men with guns and very serious looks on their faces who will not take kindly to that. So don't try that. I can't even go to my neighbor's house and walk in the door unannounced without her permission. I can't go next door to Nora Elementary and just open the door and walk in. I'm not qualified to do that. And if I try to do it, the alarms are going to go off, the police are going to show up, and they're going to arrest me for breaking and entering because I'm not qualified. But God has qualified me to share in his eternal inheritance in the kingdom of his son whom he loves. Look, you may not be qualified for a car loan. You may not be qualified for the job that you even have. You may not be qualified to, to be a husband or a wife because who really knows what they're getting into when they get married, right? I didn't. But you, Christian, already have a share in God's inheritance, in his eternal kingdom. You are already qualified. God is not waiting to see how you're going to perform in this life. Your inheritance is not based on how well you perform, how much you serve, how much you give, how much fruit you bear, you are qualified if you are in Christ. Because Jesus is the one who is qualified. And the good news, the gospel, is about what Jesus has done. And that we can now have a share in it by faith because of God's grace. So if you are in him, rejoice. Rejoice and give thanks. And now pray that God would help you live as a saint, as one who was set apart for him. Because that's who you are. See, this chapter is full of all this Old Testament imagery. We have been granted a share in this new exodus as God delivers his people through Jesus Christ just like he did in the Old Testament when he brought his people out of darkness and slavery into Egypt and into the promised land, into their inheritance in Canaan. But God wants us to understand that being part of his people, being part of his plans, it's no longer limited to one race or one people or even one location. It's now expanded so that sharing in Christ is now available to everyone from every background. And the promise of that land in the Middle East has now expanded into the redemption of all of creation that God will accomplish when 
his son returns in glory. And, and he talks about us having an inheritance with his saints in, in light. It sharpens that contrast between the kingdom of darkness where we used to dwell. See, God sent his son to enter into the dark prison of our ignorance and rebellion and sin to bring us into the light. To say, you are now part of my kingdom, of my beloved son. You still live in this world. You're not totally free. You're not totally rescued, but you're genuinely redeemed. You do not live in a pit of darkness anymore. And one day I will bring you into the fullness of my joy and life. Knowing God as your father and Jesus as your elder brother and high priest with God's own spirit now living in you in the kingdom of his son whom he loves. See, Paul's reminding us of the father's word at Jesus' baptism. This is my son whom I love. And it's not just about God's affirmation and God's delight in his son. It's a statement that Jesus is the ultimate son. He is the greater son of David who would rule and reign on his throne forever in a kingdom that will never end. That Jesus came to obey the Father perfectly where we do not. That Jesus is the true Israel, the second Adam, the ultimate king, the one whom God loves. And if you are in him, you are rescued from the power that has enslaved us and controlled us. And now you've been brought into all the blessings of this covenant, this relationship that God promises back through Jeremiah that he would write his law on our hearts, that he would be our God and we would be his people and that we would not just have forgiveness of sins but a new kind of life that would flow out of us into flourishing and blessing for the whole creation. That is what God has done and is doing in Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are part of that. And so now, now asking God to transform us for his glory is basically saying, you know, one day, God, I'm going to be with you in your presence forever. So help me now to look like that in this world. Help me to be a little more heavenly here, to bring more of your life, more of your joy, more of your kingdom purposes and wholeness into the world around me. See, the biggest change that we need has already happened. If you are in Christ, you are already a gloriously new person. And now we pray that God would help us to understand more and more what that looks like, what he's already given us in Christ, so that we could live out of that, to live out of what will be true of us forever here and now. Because you have been redeemed. You have been bought back at a price. So as you pray, as you thank God, remember that your sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done. 
You belong to God if you are in Christ. You now live in the glorious light of his beloved son. So let that lead you into living for his glory and reflecting more of his light. Ask God to change you for his glory because the greatest change that can happen has already been accomplished through the work of his son. So live out of that with power, with joy, with thanksgiving to the glory of the Father. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this glorious reminder of your will and your purposes for us in Christ. Thank you for this good news, this gospel of who Jesus is and what he has done and what you are at work doing in us. Father, may we be filled with knowledge of your eternal purposes so that we would walk in a way that pleases you, bear fruit in good works, growing in the knowledge of you as you strengthen us according to your glorious might. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.